power and by his might. Amen. He's bringing us through this. And I praise God for that. But just God has put some things on my heart to encourage the people of God. And I I pray that you're ready, that your hearts and your minds and your spirits are open to what God is trying to say to us during this time. And the word of the Lord led me to St. John chapter eight. And we're going to be looking at verses one through eleven. Again, that's St. John. That's chapter eight. And we're going to be looking at verses one through eleven. That's coming from the English Standard Version. St. John chapter eight, verse one through eleven. And the word of the Lord reads in St. John chapter eight, verse one, it says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. Amen. Hold on. I'm sorry. It says Jesus went into the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, They went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. Go and from now on, sin no more. I want to talk to you today and we'll see how God leads us on this month about the captivity of shame. The captivity of shame. When I begin to consider some of the things that really hold us back from pursuing God as we should, from having a relationship with God like we ought to. As I begin to ponder that with God and examine my own self and my own life, I begin to ask God, why are we not as close to you as we should be? And one of of the obvious reasons, of course, is sin. Sin will separate us from God. But God has already given us an avenue, a pathway to God through sin. That's through Jesus Christ. He said, if we, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if it's not sin alone, what is it that keeps us from being in communion with God, from having the relationship with God that we should have? And as I began to look at some of the culprits, one of the main ones I began to consider is shame. When I thought about shame is that shame, it arises in many different forms and it it, it takes on many different avenues and takes on many different ways of causing us not to be in line with what God desires for us to do. Shame will cause us to refrain from praying like we ought to pray. 
Shame will, will cause us to not sometimes not even come to church as we should to not even be amongst the body of believers as we ought to. Shame, shame will also cause us to focus not on our relationship with God, but rather shame will cause us to focus on the things that we have done wrong. And because we're focusing on what we've done wrong and not focusing on restoring that relationship with God, that will all, all, almost always prevent us from praying like we ought to pray. Because we won't seek God, we don't think we're deserving of a relationship with God like we ought to. We don't think that we have a, an avenue and a pathway for God to answer our prayers, for God to answer our concerns. And as a result of that, our relationship fails. Our relationship falters. We don't we we stop communicating with God. And when we fail to communicate with God, that prevents us from getting closer to him. You cannot get closer to someone you don't communicate with. Can I get some help in here this morning? You cannot grow closer to someone that you do not communicate with. And because shame will prevent you from communicating with God, then you grow more distant from God. You don't talk to him as often as you should. Have you ever been in an argument with someone and you felt ashamed because of how you behaved? And then you didn't reach out to them like you should. Come on now. You felt ashamed because of the things you said or some of the things you've done or, 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 or maybe somewhere along the lines in the relationship. You did some things you shouldn't do. And because of that, you felt ashamed. And because of that shame, you didn't connect with that person like you should. Let me see where my real people are. Maybe you borrowed some money and you didn't pay it back. Maybe you acted a fool during an argument and you don't even want to revisit how you behaved. And you don't you don't want to be reminded of how you acted when you came out of yourself. Maybe they said something to you and you had to tell them about themselves. And then after the words left your lips, you felt so ashamed and wish you could draw them back. But you couldn't. So because of that shame, every time you see them, you cross the street, you hold your head down. You try to prevent having a conversation with this person because of shame. I'm, I'm trying to see where where my real people are this morning. So because of your behavior, you are ashamed to confront this person because of something you've done wrong. You're afraid sometimes to even talk to this person or for this person to even see you because of your behavior. You do not want to have interactions with this person because of shame. The same thing happens to us relative to God. We are ashamed of how we are behaved. So sometimes we'd rather be busy with everything else other than confronting the shame we have. And not doing what we should do with God. It's like we owe God money and we don't want him to see us. We owe him money so we don't even want to talk about or, or, or recognize that he sees us. God sees us at all times. We can't hide from God. But rather than hiding from God, we hide in, we hide in our own minds by not discussing or having conversations with him. Some people don't come to church, not, and they'll give many reasons as why they don't come, but many don't come because of shame. They don't come because they don't want to confront the reality of their lack of relationship with God. They don't want to confront some of the things that they've done because coming to church reminds them of the things that they have done wrong 
and that they are continuing to do wrong. But let me just tell you, we all struggle with that. We all struggle. We're all a relationship with God is a process. It's not a destination. No one has arrived. And to someone who may be listening to this message virtually, I want to let you know that nobody has arrived. Nobody has gotten there yet. Because the people who arrive, like I told you, there'll be a whirlwind waiting on you to take you to heaven. They said Enoch was not because God took him. Until you get to that place and none of us are there, we're all struggling and working to get to the place that God desires us to be. And it's a process. Somebody say it's a process. Oh, somebody out there who's listening needs to hear you say it. Say it loud. Say it's a process. It's a daily process. Daily. We are working on ourselves. When I come and preach to you and I'm ministering to you and I'm sharing to you what God has given me, I want you to understand I'm in that same process. God's still working. Uh, I think uh, Steve Harvey put it this way. Don't trip. God's still working on me. <laughs> and that is all of our testimony that no matter what title you might have, God is yet working on us. We have, are not perfect. It's something that we're all working on. What I'm working on might be different than yours, but we're all working on something. Somebody point at somebody and say, I'm working on something. I'm working on something. There is something that I'm struggling with. There's something that I'm working at with. There's something that God is yet trying to do in my life. Paul said, Lord, there's a thorn in my flesh and I'd rather you just take it out. But God's answer to Paul was my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. In other words, sometimes he allows certain things to happen, allows certain things to bug us in our lives, to remind us of our own humanity, to remind us of our need for God. If we had it all figured out, why would we need God? If we had it all together, why would we need to come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace to help in our time of need? We wouldn't need that if we could do it by ourselves. But the word says, by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. It is a gift, which means it's something that God already paid for. When I give you a gift, I've already paid for You don't have to go make payments on what I gave you. I wish you were in here with me. You don't have to make payments on it. The payments have already been made. Jesus paid it all when he went on the cross. He's offering us a gift that has already been paid for. We cannot earn it. We do not deserve it. But yet we are struggling with things that happen to us on a daily basis. That's why Paul said for this cause, I die daily. My flesh has to die because I'm struggling with something. I'm trying to pull somebody out right now from the depths of shame and let you know that just because you've done wrong, just because you continue to struggle with something does not mean that you're not one of God's children. God was talking about you. In fact, Jesus said, I didn't come for the people who thought they had it all together. He said, I came but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel because a lost sheep knows it's lost. Come on in here with me now. A lost sheep looks around and doesn't see anybody else in the herd. It doesn't see any of the other sheep around it. It it has lost its vision of, of the shepherd. It recognizes that it's lost. And I came to tell somebody right now, you're feeling shame. But baby, don't feel shame. The first thing about shame is that you just need to recognize that I'm lost. That's all you need to do is recognize that you're lost. 
And all of us have been lost. The only difference between some of us being lost and the others is that we know we lost. I wish you were in here with me. We're, we're, we're all lost, but at least I recognize I've been lost and I need help and I need guidance from God to get to where I need to be. We've all been lost. Songwriter put it this way. I was sinking deep in sin. Far from the blissful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea, he heard my despairing cry. And from the waters, he lifted me and safe in my, why not because of myself, but because love. It was God's love that lifted me. It was not of myself. It was not of where I was born. It was not because of my own actions. But it was only because of God's love that came and found me while I was lost. I raised my hand because I recognized I was lost. And somebody out there right now, you're feeling shame and you want to know what's the first step you need to do. First, you need to understand you're lost. And the next thing you need to do, baby, is just lift your hands to God. Say, Lord, I recognize I'm lost. Lord, I recognize that I don't have it all together. Lord, Lord, I recognize that I, I've messed up in the past. And Lord, let, let's be real and transparent about this thing. I'm still messing up, Lord. So I need your help to rescue me from the situation that I've put myself in. I'm going to stop blaming the devil. I'm going to stop blaming my haters. But Lord, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I need you to deliver me from the situation that I've put myself in. Don't stay there and not cry for help. Because somebody right there, somebody even around you, that's why it's so important that we shine our lights on this dark world, shine the light on the sea of people who, who feel lost. We need to let them know that there is hope wherever you are. Somebody point at your neighbor and say, there's hope wherever you are. There is hope. Wherever you are. And, and the emphasis on that is wherever. Wherever you find yourself right now. Wherever this sermon finds you on this morning. Wherever you might be and however lost you might feel. I want to know that wherever you are situated right now. There is hope for your situation. You're never in a place. You might be lost because you don't know your way. But I want you to understand God sees all. God knows all. In fact, God knew that you'd be in the situation that you're in right now. God knew the areas where you might fall or where you might slip. And God knew that you might feel hopeless in the place where you are. But I want to let you know that there is hope for you wherever you are right now. Somebody say, wherever you are, there is hope for you. There's hope for you. And what shame will cause us to do is to be in the midst of a sea, drowning. And not even feel confident enough to scream out for help. That's what shame does. Shame will cause you to be drowning in the dark seas, being overcome by the waves, and not even have the confidence to yell out for help. Shame will be the muzzle that keeps your mouth shut when you need to cry out to God. Shame will be the thing that will cause you to not even wave your hand. And tell people you need help because you're too ashamed to ask for help. I'm trying to call somebody out of that place of shame where they are right now because all shame is is captivity. Shame is incarceration. Shame is a conviction, an unauthorized conviction by the devil that would cause you to die where you are. 
because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. What I'm telling you is that there is hope in the middle of your situation. You have been rightly convicted by the devil of being wrong, of being sinful. But what I'm telling you is you don't have to stay where you are. There is a door. There is a way out of where you are. Seems like the devil has shut the door on your situation and you can't get out. But I want to let you know that Christ has created another door. There is another way out. There is a way out of your situation. There is a way out of your storm. And you don't have to stay stuck because you feel shame. Which brings us back to the story. This woman who was caught in the middle of adultery. And many of you, I've, I've shared with you how my feelings on that. It's one of the first feelings I have about it is what, how, how did they catch her in the middle of adultery? Somebody look at your name and say, what were they doing? <laughs> what, 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 what were they doing to, to catch her in the midst of adultery? First of all, I, I'm concerned about them peeping in people's windows. The other concern I have is that I feel what we call legally in in America is called entrapment. Entrapment is where you set up a scenario or situation so somebody will do wrong. I'm wondering, did they not entrap this woman so they could catch her in the midst of adultery? Now, these are supposed to be the, the spiritual and religious leaders of the time. Instead of leading people into temptation, they should be leading people out of temptation. But it seems to me they have set up this situation so that this woman could fail just so that they could make a point to try and discredit Jesus. They have put this woman's life and spiritual spiritual well-being in jeopardy just so that they could make a, a point with Jesus. So they find this woman. And it's interesting to me also that that they found the woman, but they didn't find the man. Because. The man, the man was there too. Come, come on, come in here with me now. The, the man was there too. Where, where, where was the man? You found the woman. Where, where was the man? It, it takes two. And why did they not convict them both? I, I'm tired of that because sometimes in our in our society, we like to convict certain people based on how we feel or how somebody is more wrong than others. The woman is more wrong in adultery than the man. Homosexuality is worse than adultery. Come on in here now. I told you sometimes we put a premium on, on sin and, and we want to convict one person and we don't want to talk about the other. But here they came to pull the woman. And the reason I feel like they pull the woman rather than the man is because she feel more shame. They wanted to emphasize her shame. Can you imagine how shameful that woman felt to have been pulled from that situation? Taken by these supposed religious leaders who are supposed to be leading us to God. The thing about the thing about the problem is sometimes we have with religion uh, over spirituality is because sometimes we point out people's wrongs instead of leading them to Jesus. And, 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 and the point of the church should not be to point at what you did wrong. The point is for me to point you to Jesus. So instead of me pointing at you and say you did wrong and you did wrong and you did wrong and that was wrong. I need to be pointing you to Jesus because Jesus said, if I be lifted up. 
He didn't say lift up what they did wrong. He didn't say lift up their sins. He didn't say prioritize one sin over the other. But he said, if I be lifted up, he said, I'll draw all men unto me. They, 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 they took this woman because they wanted to capitalize on her shame. And, and I want to say that to somebody because somebody out there right now, you, the problem you're having is not only your shame, but it's also a feeling of injustice. You feel that you were unjustly called out. You felt like that somebody picked on you when other people around you did the very same thing that you did. And for some reason, you're bearing the punishment. For some reason, you're the only one toting the shame of that trial, of that problem that you're going through when many other people did the very same thing that you did. I want to let you know that that's simply a trapping of shame. Don't get stuck on shame. Don't get stuck on the injustice. What you need to get stuck on is finding your way out of where you were. How do you find your way out? Well, one of the things that happened here is the lady, when she is taken to Jesus, it said Jesus had just went into the Mount of Olives and here they come to confront Jesus. Jesus didn't go find them. They went and found him. It says Jesus is riding on the ground. I, I, I wish so much vividly for me to just imagine what Jesus was there writing. And I, I wish we had a transcript of what he was writing on the ground there, brother. Just I believe it'd be something encouraging and helpful to me even right now. But whatever he was writing, it had his full attention. So they bring the woman to him and and they tell him that this woman has been found in adultery. And according to the law of Moses, she should be stoned. According to Moses law, because sometimes the law of our religion prevents us from connecting people to God. Don't ever allow a religious tradition or a religious law to prevent you from connecting people to God. If there's any law that separates people from God, that's not what Jesus Christ came for. Jesus said, I gave you the commandments. I told you the most important commandments to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And he said, there's a second one that's just like it. He said, to love thy neighbor as you love yourself. If, if you can't connect people to God, that lets me know that you don't love your neighbor like you love yourself because you want to be connected. So it ought to be your goal to connect other people to God. Let me say that to somebody else. That ought to be your mission. If you love yourself and you love God, then to love your neighbor as you love yourself means it ought to be your mission to connect other people to God. Somebody point at your neighbor and say, it's your mission to connect others to God. This woman, she, 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 she's, she's shameful. She's standing in the midst of all of these religious men all around her. And notice the scene is full of men to, to emphasize her shame. She has been caught in doing wrong. She knows she's done wrong. It's like you running away from that friend that you owe money to. You know you feel shameful. You don't want to connect to him. You don't want to talk to him. Can you imagine the body language of this woman being surrounded by men and then all of a sudden her head is hanging down? She does not want to make eye contact with anybody. They present her charges to Jesus and say that she has been caught in the very act of adultery and she knows she's done wrong. She knows she's been caught in the act. And these men are standing and accusing her while she is yet drowning in her own shame. And Jesus is there riding on the ground and she's wondering what Jesus is going to say regarding this situation. 
Her head is down. She doesn't want to make eye contact with anybody because shame is disconnecting her from her deliverance. And I came to tell somebody right now because somebody God wants to deliver you, but you're allowing shame to disconnect you from your deliverance. You're allowing shame to perpetuate a chasm between you and your purpose. That means God has a purpose for you, but yet you're too ashamed to pursue what God has available to you. Don't be ashamed to go after what God said is yours. Don't be ashamed to go after what God said is yours. Because the thing about God is God is omniscient. God knows all. He sees all. God even knows what your weaknesses were. Before you were born, before you were formed in the belly, I knew thee. I already knew you'd have weaknesses. I already knew you'd have problems trying not to cuss people out. I already knew you'd have problems gossiping. Come in here with me now. I knew you'd have problems being faithful. I knew you'd have problems coming to church when you should. I knew you'd have problems praying like you ought to. I knew you'd have consequences and, and problems and crises of faith. I knew that. I knew you'd have issues with pornography. I knew you'd have issues watching and reading and things that you shouldn't. I knew that you'd have these issues, but yet we allow shame to preclude us from our purpose. When God said, I already know. I already knew. I already knew what you'd struggle with. I knew what you'd have trouble with. I knew you'd have trouble with the law. I knew you'd have trouble even understanding who you are. I knew you'd struggle with depression. I knew you'd struggle with your own self-concept. I knew you struggle with people. Some of some of us just have trouble with people. We're okay when we're by ourselves. You don't have to raise your hand. But when, but when we have to fool with people, sometimes we'd be all right if we didn't run into people all week. But then you run into folks. Then you say, I was doing all right. And then she had to talk to me. Some of you laughing because I'm telling the truth. God knew what you would struggle with. God knew this. Somebody just lift your hand and say, God already knew. Now throw your hands up again and say, forgive me, Lord. He knew what our weaknesses were. He knew what we'd struggle with. He knew what we'd have trouble with. So why are we ashamed to confront of God that I already knew? It's because shame is almost like you're trying to hide it. You're not hiding it from God. God knows you did it. And he already knew in advance that something you'd struggle with. But in spite of that, he still loves you. He still loves you. We talk about David being a man after God's own heart. Did you read first and second Samuel? Did you read some of the stuff that David did? God told the kings of Israel, he said, but before he even allowed a king, he said, one of the problems I have with them in Deuteronomy, he said, you want a king, but but a king shouldn't have a multiplicity of horses. Well, David had plenty of horses. He said, kings want to have a multiplicity of wives. David had multiple wives. And then David, even with multiple wives, he then takes, he even takes Uriah's wife. He got all these wives in his house and he's looking over in somebody else's house and then takes their wife. 
Let, let, me, let me go back to that story because somebody's ashamed of what you've done. They call David a man after God's own heart. Let's break down what David did. David, first of all, it says at the time when kings go out to war, which means David's behind was in the wrong place anyway. He should have been out there with the army, but he's chilling at the palace. He's looking out and then he sees Bathsheba taking a bath. Now, he should he should have averted his eyes. There's David. He didn't have TV, but he's watching stuff he shouldn't be watching, too. Sitting there watching her should have averted. He should have went back and prayed. <laughs> but David sitting there watching her take a bath. And then what does he do next? He t- not only does he do bad himself, that's bad enough. But he engages his servants to help him do wrong. He sees her, tells his servants to go get her. Now, you know, come on now. You know, these servants are saying, man, what is he doing? This is not his wife. He's going to get her, get somebody else's wife, brings her back to the palace so he can lay with her. Then after he finds out she's pregnant, he calls her husband back from war. Calls Uriah back from war and tries to trick him into sleep. Don't this sound like Jerry Springer and Maury Pover just? He tries to trick her husband into sleeping with her, so that the ba- he'll think the baby is his. Come on now, Dave is rich. He shouldn't be trying to avoid child support. The man is more honorable than David. The man says, how will I go in and lie with my wife when my fellow peers are out there in battle? Sleeps at the front of his own door, does not even go into his wife. Then David, because of his honor, David has to escalate what he's doing wrong. So he won't go in there and sleep with his wife so I can trick him into thinking that it's his baby. So then he tells the captain of the army to put him in the most heated part of the battle. So that he might die and be killed. And I want you to get this. When he gets to the heated part of the battle, he commands them to withdraw from him so that he doesn't have help to make sure that he's killed. The man dies in battle. Captain of the army reports it back to David that he has been killed. David then takes Bathsheba into his house to be his wife. And what did God have to do? God had to send the prophet Nathan. Prophet Nathan goes into him and poses him one of the first parables that you see in the Bible. He says to him, David, he said, hey, there was a rich man who had many lambs and many sheep. But then he had a visitor and a guest. And instead of killing his one of his own sheep, his neighbor who had one lamb who they treated like a family member. He went and stole that lamb, killed it, and dressed it for his guest. And he tells David the story, and David is mad. David's upset. David said, that man ought to die. He ought to be put to death. Nathan said one of the most, some of the most profound words that you'll ever find in the Bible. Thou art the man. Thou art the man. But yet we consider David a man. After God's own heart, I'm saying that story and reminding you of a story that you may already know to remind you that whatever you've done, wherever you are, whatever situation you find yourself in right now, 
Don't allow shame to separate you from your purpose. Don't allow shame to cause you to give up your destiny. And in spite of all that, I'm finished. In spite of all that, the song that comes to my mind, Hezekiah Walker. Lady sings, he said, I've done wrong, but despite all I've done wrong, yet and still, you're calling my name. Despite everything that I've done wrong, God, you're still calling my name. You still have a purpose for me. You still have a plan for me. You still have a destiny for me. And maybe the most tragic thing that you find there in that story of David when Nathan relates that to him. God says to David, and I want you to get this, because in the midst of your shame, in the midst of your wrong, in the midst of anything that you may have done wrong. God relates to David. He said, David, he said, you had many wives. He said, but if there was anything else that you wanted, anything else that you desire. He said, if you just ask me. If you just ask me. And for somebody out there right now, you're feeling the shame of what you've done. You're feeling the shame of what you're struggling with. There's a thorn in your flesh that continues to trouble you. And you find yourself in a cycle where you keep doing wrong, but then you say, I won't do it again. And then you do wrong again and you say, I won't do it again. But you keep doing wrong. And you keep apologizing. You keep seeking forgiveness from God. But I want you to know you're still alive. You're still living and God's still calling your name. Don't be ashamed to open your mouth and call out to God. Say, Lord, I know that I've done wrong. But I'm still here. So you must still want me. And I need somebody to get that right now. God still wants you. I want you to find three people and just point at them and say, God still wants you. God still wants you. I want you to put that in the hashtag, that in the content, in the in the comments. God still wants me. God still wants me. David was a as an adulterer. Murderer. God still was calling him. God still wanted him. And I dare say none of you are guilty of what David did. Nobody in this house is guilty for what David did. You know the same David? Let me tell you something else David did. David got older in years. This is after, you know, we talk about David said, I've been young, but now I'm old, but never have I seen the righteous forsaken. Nor his children bragging bread. David in his old age decides to number the kingdom. God told him not to, but he wanted to do it anyway. And because of his disobedience to God, more than 30,000 people lost their lives because of David's disobedience. I'm telling you, nobody in here has a record or a rap sheet like David. But if God was calling his name, if God was yet calling his name, came to tell somebody God's yet calling your name. God's yet calling your name. He's yet calling your name. I don't care what your thorn is. 
don't care what you're struggling with. I don't care what's holding you back. I don't care whatever sin it is that you have to beat back every day. He's yet calling your name. You yet have purpose. God yet has a design for you. And just like God, to be more righteous than we are. God yet wants to bless you. And I need you to get that. God just doesn't want you to exist. He wants you to be blessed. The reason I know, he said, I've come that you might have life. And that you might have it more abundantly. That's not to the people who are pretending. And let me make sure I make it clear. Those people who are pretending to be perfect. Because nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. If you're listening to me, you're not perfect. Because the whirlwind wasn't waiting on your doorstep ready to take you to heaven. (laughs) Means you're not perfect. Means you're all in the struggle with us. We're in this together. Point at somebody and say, we're in this together. We're struggling together. And because we're struggling together, just because you're on one side of the boat and I'm on the other, don't point at me because I'm struggling. Don't think that my struggle is worse than yours. We're all struggling. Whatever it might be. Adultery, homosexuality, pornography, addiction. Gossiping, lying, whatever it is, even the the Bible says first, the fearful and the unbelieving shall find their place in hell. Whatever it is you're struggling with, I want you to know that God is available to you. Don't allow the shame of what you're dealing with to prevent you from crying out to God. Don't drown in silence. Don't drown in silence. Don't drown in silence. Just because it seems like it's trying to overwhelm you. Don't allow it to mute your voice. And I want somebody to know this right now. Just because you're struggling doesn't mean you need to stop witnessing. Don't stop witnessing because you're struggling. Don't stop witnessing because you're going through. Somebody needs your voice. I need you to get that. Somebody needs your voice. And I need to say it to it to make it clear. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a missionary. There are people you reach that I'll never reach. There are people that listen to you that won't ever hear my voice. Your voice is powerful. Don't allow the shame of what you're struggling with to shut you out. Somebody needs your voice. And I've shared this before, and it feels appropriate right now. Broken crayons color, too. They color, too. Broken crayons can color a beautiful portrait. Just because you're broken doesn't mean you don't have something to offer. I'm broken, but I have something to offer. I've struggled with some things, but I yet have a testimony because they didn't overcome by their perfection. They overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They don't need your perfection. They need your testimony. Come on in here. 
They don't need the sanitized version of your testimony. They need the truth. They need to know that you struggle too. Can I get a witness? Somebody just raise your hand and say, I struggle too. I struggle too. Somebody needs the reality of that testimony to help them where they are right now. I struggle too. I only exist by the grace and mercy of God. God didn't, need, God didn't extend me mercies because I'm perfect. He extends me mercies because I'm imperfect. He extends me mercies because I need them. I need all of God's mercies. I can't testify for you. Let me testify for myself. I need all of God's mercy. It's because of his mercies that I'm not consumed. I'm saying this to share this with somebody who's struggling with your shame. Don't allow yourself to drown in the silence of your shame. Speak out, open your mouth and extend those hands to God. Everybody standing in this place. I want you to lift up those hands to God in this place. We're all seeking his mercy this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we thank you just for another day, Lord, that you allowed us to live. Another chance to cry out to you, Lord. Another chance to seek your mercy and your grace. And Lord, you gave us permission to come boldly to the throne of grace to receive the help that we need. Lord, help us right now where we are. Wherever we find ourselves on this morning, Lord, you help us. Extend your hand in our direction, Lord, and lift us up from the place that we are. Set us on your firm foundation, Lord. Guide us and allow your word to lead us in your way. Let us not live in shame, Lord. Let us not drown in shame. But Lord, let us be reminded by whatever we're struggling with that it's just a sign that we need your help. Lord, we need you, Lord. We need you every hour of the day. Lord, we need you. We need the more of you. Lord, you said your strength is made perfect in our weakness. And we claim your strength in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, put those hands together and give God some praise. Come on, give God some praise on this morning. Hallelujah. For those of you who have been joining us virtually, we praise God for you. Until we shall see you again, may you live with faith and expectation and not allow shame to avert you from your purpose. Come on, put the... pray that each of you were touched and inspired by our service today. If you wish to partner with us, you can do so by Giveify. Download the app on Apple Store or Google Play and search for Bright Temple. If you wish to partner with us on Cash App, just look for Bright Temple in the two line and in the four line, tell us the purpose of your gift. If you would rather mail your gift, you can mail us at Bright Temple Post Office Box 453, Shelbyville, Tennessee, 37162. Thanks in advance for your generosity, and we pray God's blessings on you and your gift.